Welcome to the School Business Leadership Podcast. Today we are talking about GDPR, specifically an innovative and collaborative approach taken by a group of SBLs in South London in relation to their DPO structure. If GDPR makes your head hurt, then a new way of doing things may be just what you're looking for. Let's get stuck in. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Lisa Murphy. Lisa is a school business manager at an outstanding and expanding voluntary-aided primary school in Croydon. She's worked there for 14 years, joining the school initially as a finance and HR officer. Lisa has previously worked in retail banking and in learning and development as an online course designer, programmer and consultant. She's also been a school governor at a primary school, leading an interim executive board during its transition to an academy. Two years ago, she became the data protection lead for her school and one of four data protection officers for the South Croydon cluster. Lisa has three children and in her spare time, as a big Crystal Palace fan, plays walking football for the Palace for Life Foundation, which she says helps her to relax. She has also completed four swimathons, the Shine Marathon Walk and the Palace for Life Marathon Walk. She has recently discovered a love of gin and is especially partial to the pink grapefruit variety. Today we're talking about GDPR, in particular the unique data protection officer structure that Lisa and her colleagues have implemented in their local school cluster. Welcome, Lisa. Morning, Laura. Before we go into GDPR, can I ask, is it GDPR that turned you to gin? (laughs) Um, Funny you should say that because the four of us do love a glass of gin and we have been known to discuss uh, GDPR whilst partaking in a couple of glasses. Um, But also (laughs) it was the football, I think. Uh, The football, the crowd that I met through the football have uh, introduced me to gin and it's just sort of helps you relax a little bit and enjoy yourself. I have to agree, um, you know, in terms of the pink grapefruit, that's mine as well. Anything fruity with gin. Especially when you add the pink grapefruit fruit to it yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. It's too early. We're recording this early. We can't. We can't go there. Let's <laughs> stick to GDPR for now. We can have one afterwards. Okay. So you're talking about this this structure that you've put in place in your school cluster. So so set the scene for us. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with GDPR or data protection officers, what do we need to know? Okay, well, we actually set up a collaborative uh, data protection officer um, network, and the reasons was doing it was for sort of saving money, sharing the workload, and being able to comply with the law. Under the Data Protection Act that came in in 2018, all schools had to have a data protection officer, and their role predominantly was to advise school leadership about their data obligations, being able to monitor the compliance within the school, um, making sure that internal data protection activities were going on, there was training of staff, and maybe conducting audits. Um, And the thing about this role is you don't have to be a lawyer to do it, but what you do need to have is knowledge of data protection and being able to be able to be impartial and being able to give advice to both uh, the governing body level and at head teacher level. The other thing is that you can't be either the data controller, which in most schools is the head teacher, and you can't be a data processor, which if you look at most of the roles within the schools, uh, apart from the odd few, and you would be processing some sort of data be it financial to the students, the staff, you would be processing data. So we started to sort of look at how we could meet the regulations of the law, but also to keep it quite tight uh, um, with the constraints of the budgets that most of us have got. And the thing was with data protection, when we started to look at it, yes, there was additional 
rights for the data subjects, so your pupils, your parents, your staff. But in essence, it's still the data protection that we've already been always been working with, that you've got to keep that data safe. So we weren't scared to go out on a step of doing this on our own. But what we also realised is that we needed to be able to evidence things more clearly. So that's where we thought the collaboration work come really into its own because you could share the workload, come up with how you can show all of this evidence without having to be one person that was doing it. So that's sort of where we were with data protection and why we have to do it. Um, But then looking about how we started to set it up, we started a school business manager cluster group probably about about two and a half, three years ago, about three years ago, following uh, one of the head teachers within the cluster saying it would be really good for us to have a network so that we could start to look at collaborative working. Unfortunately, our local authority, we didn't have that strong network. We had meetings to share information, but not a network that we could work collaboratively. And we were finding that we were all doing the same sort of thing, all paying for the same services, um, but we weren't getting the benefits of being one group. So that's where it really came together that we started working as a small business uh, cluster. And then the first hot potato that hit us was GDPR. And we thought, what a great way to start this collaboration. Um, And that's really where it started from. So we we sort of did the normal, looked outside and thought, is there a third party we can buy in for? Uh, we looked at our local authority. They weren't offering anything. We even looked at maybe employing one person that could work for the whole cluster as the DPO. But what option we found, and we checked to make sure that it was okay to do this, was to do this collaborative uh, idea. So that initially we started doing that. We shared the paperwork and started coming up with how we could evidence everything but then we then realized that we do need to have these impartial people uh, that could work within the schools and at that time we probably had about 12 schools uh, that were in the cluster so out of that four of us volunteered uh, into saying that we would do the data protection role and we would do it for the four of us our own schools but also sharing it amongst so that we would cover the other eight schools that's the, the the setup that we put in place, um, and to sort of to help with that, all the cluster had had training within GDPR, and we'd done that as a cluster so that we could get bulk purchase on that. Uh, but the four of us felt that we needed, if we were going to be advising people and supporting people through the process, we needed additional training and knowledge. And as I said before, we need the DPOs don't have to be lawyers, but they do need to have knowledge. So we actually had a whole day's training uh, in London uh, with a company called IT Governance. And we did the General Data Protection Regulations Foundation Certificate, uh, of which was quite intense. As I say, it was a whole day with uh, an Italian lawyer uh, explaining all the background about it, what we needed to have in place, how you go about it. And then at the end of it, about six o'clock at night, we had to do an online test and the good news is all four of us pass so that we had that knowledge to be able to go out there and support the cluster. Just a couple of questions. You said you had it checked out that you could set up this collaborative SLA. Who did you have to check it out with? We spoke with the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and we also at that mm-hmm. time there was guidance coming out from the DFE regarding data protection. And in it, that was one of the suggestions they'd actually made. So, so it was a DFE suggestion that this was a model you could look at? They had suggested it, but we had already come up with the idea. 
but we just wanted to make mm. sure that it, it you could do that. And they, yeah, they loved it. And since then, we've actually spoken with the DfE and there has been a, a case study done on it, which has been shared Ooh. by the DfE with other clusters around the country. So this is something that is possible for other people to do? Yes, definitely. It depends on various levels of what they want to do. It could be that they do it that it's only a pair in two schools. It could be that school A, the data protection lead in that school, would act as the data protection officer for the other school and vice versa. It yeah. could be that it could be an academy group would do it. Um, it could be other maintained schools. It's, it depends on how big you want to do it. What we've done in the sense of how we've done it bigger is that we do charge our time back uh, to the other schools, but obviously keeping it as low as possible. So it's basically our time so that our own schools right. don't lose out. But if it was only a couple of schools, it could be that A does B, B does C and C does A. So that there's sort of cost yeah. neutral for them all. So, so tell me a little bit more about what you offer then and, and your setup. So people listening can decide, you know, is this something they want to do? Okay. As I say, there is four of us. So um, we will do each other's and we will remain as that one person within each of them. Uh, but as I say, we also do it to the other eight schools. And since we set this up, we've now got other schools that are outside the, the South Croydon cluster, but just within Croydon that have uh, brought mm. into the service. Um, and when we yeah. first did it, as I say, as a cluster, we had set up a set of templates. Now, these templates were from things like the information asset registers that schools need to have, privacy notices, policies, and also data protection impact assessments. So we set up these templates and we said all the original schools that worked within that cluster, they got all those templates for nothing because they'd worked on them. We mm. then, the time that they paid us for was if they needed any extra advice or we then would go in and we would do an audit. And in the first year, we did an initial audit because it was new to us all. And we had a, a quite, it's quite um, a substantial audit that we do when we go in. We look at the governance, making sure that the governors understand their role within it. We, we look at the senior leadership team, making sure that they understand their roles with it and what part they have to play. Uh, we look at their uh, how protected their data is, where stuff is stored, how they do it, um, even access onto the sites, their uh, devices, um, and also how they train the rest of the staff and do they understand it? Do they understand who the data protection officer is? Do they understand what they do if there's a subject access uh, request? So we did all of that and we give them um, a report and in it is a clear action plan of what they need to do. And as I say, within that first year, we then do two further monitoring reviews with them to see how they're progressing. And the idea is, is that we're not going in to tell them off. We're going in there to help mm. them. So we will work with them. And so the action plan is it's more of a stepping stone so they know where they've got to do, what they've got to do next. And even is there something else that we might, they need support from us with it? It could be some additional mm. training, et cetera. Then in subsequent years, so we're on to sort of our second year, we offered two different services for, our, for those schools because some of them were brilliant and they got all the systems in place very, very quickly. So they didn't actually need a, um, the audits. They needed a, a virtual DPO. And with the virtual DPO, it meant that if 
there was a data breach, it was someone independent that could go in and investigate it. They could be the link pin between right. the school and the ICO. Or if mm. they wanted to just have some advice so that there was that person there that they could contact. The second part was some of our schools felt that they needed a bit more than that. They still wanted to be able to have that person at the end of the phone that they could ring, get advice. They still wanted that audit so that they could um, make sure that they were still on track with what they were doing. Um, And that has become very apparent with some of the new hot potatoes that have come out with remote learning and how Brexit is going to hit us and things like that, that there is things Mm -hmm. that are changing and they needed to know. Um, So that was all our schools that we originally started with. Any school that comes on to us that's new and wasn't part of that original cluster, they do get the templates, but we do charge them that little bit more because we feel that they haven't committed and and spent time developing those. So they will get exactly the same as the other two that I've just mentioned, but it costs them a little bit more in the first year because they get all the templates as well. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like you say, it's it's happened very organically and there's a very clear benefit, I think, to schools and having that external impartial support from people who are trained and know what they're doing and someone to call upon. Because I know a lot of school business leaders have been, you know, dealing with GDPR, but they feel very much alone with it. I think that's the thing. I think the the couple of benefits that we saw, not just the financial side, because obviously we can do it cheaper. I mean, when we looked at some of the external people, even as a cluster, they were still charging small schools sort of four and a half thousand pounds a year, uh, which is wow. a lot of money for schools to suddenly mm. find um, with the current climate. Uh, but the other benefits is we actually understand the schools. We know what it's like within each of those schools. Mm. And the thing with the four of us is that we've all got slightly different backgrounds. So obviously I've come from a voluntary AD primary school. We've got a standalone Uh, academy uh, school business manager we've got a special needs school business manager and then we've got a larger maintain primary school school business manager so there's quite a lot of experience between the four of us um, with slightly different backgrounds so when we're talking and when we try to pair up what schools we were looking at we looked at very similar schools so within my cluster I've already got a couple of um, voluntary aided schools that I support because that's my background um, and one of my other colleagues, she works with um, the, some of the special needs schools that we've got within Croydon as well, because obviously they they have a lot more sort of sensitive data than, say, some of the other schools might have. So if someone wants to to set it up and they, they like the sound of what you've done, where do they actually start? What do they need to do first? I think, first of all, is that they need to find like-minded people um, in the sense mm. of, is there other schools within their sort of locality or within their academy chain or within their borough that want to do something similar? I mean, some schools uh, are in boroughs where the local authority are great and they can help. But if not, I think it's finding that type of thing. And it could be that they've already got networks established for other things or their head teachers have already got clusters that they could start Mm. to talk to other schools and see if there's something similar that they would like to put into place. Once they've got those mm. like-minded schools, they then need to think about how they're going to work. So as I said before, the big change with data protection uh, 1998 and 2018 is this evidence. Mm. So it's making sure you've got a template that you're working to for your information asset register. Now, 
we looked at a number of places. Uh, you've got companies like the School Bus, uh, the Key, uh, the London Grid for Learning. They all have templates there that you could use, and they're there if you're if you subscribe to them, you can quite easily download those and start to build it. And as I say, you could work together on this. You don't have to do it independently, and that's where. We, we found the real benefit because we could share the ideas. And if we don't understand something, you could pick up that phone to that person and say, what have you done with this? Why, why, why have you, what's the legal basis that you've put down for that? Um, but the LGFL mm. template is very good in that it's got all the legal basis there. Once you've then got your, uh, that the information asset register in place, you then need to start looking at where you're share, who you share your data with how you share your data, um, and where those people that you share it with store it. And there's a, there's a number of mm. ways of doing this. Uh, you need to, first of all, you need a data map. So you need to look at where your data's coming in, where your data's going out. And there's some really good videos out there. Uh, if you go onto YouTube and you look up something called GDPR, small s, I, sorry, s, uh, they've got some videos about data mapping. The Also, the DFE, they have got a guide uh, all about GDPR and they've got links in there about the step process that you should do and they will provide you with how to do the data mapping. And once you've done that and you know who you're sharing with, you then need to start looking at either sort of their, their privacy notices or again, there are softwares you can purchase that would do it for you. Um, the GDPIS is just one of ones that we've, we found and we found is quite useful. Um, and they will look at, as I say, where all the data is stored and the legal basis for all of that storing of that data. But the, you also need to look at things like your policies. So you need your data protection, you need your data retention, your acceptable use, and you also need all your privacy notices. Again, mm. um, your local authority might supply these. There are examples, again, as I say, on the school bus, uh, the key. Recently, the government, the DfE, put one out regarding the lateral flow testing. So there are templates yeah. that you can pick up quite quickly. As I say, there that's that's in terms of data protection in the sense of general. Uh, but what I would say with if you are going to go down the collaborative route, it's also quite good to think about who's going to do what and how much each school's going to do. So we looked at having a job description for the data protection officer for ourselves mm. and we looked at having a job description for the data protection lead within the school so it's always good to have a person within each school that you can contact so if the ico was to phone me and say uh we've had a parent contact us uh, about school a um with a potential breach i would know who within school a i can contact and say i need to start investigating this so, yeah, you've got a named person in each school. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah. The problem is, and, and this is all driven, isn't it? Because there has to be someone impartial to deal with it. And everyone in the school, like you say, is a data processor by the nature of their job. That's right. <laughs> okay. So if they want to kind of do this model, you mentioned before that your team did a qualification and it was a day in London. So how do they register for that? Where can they find information about that? We... Um... As I say, as a cluster, and that included our head teacher, our school business manager, and even our governors, we did an initial uh, training, uh, which was through a company mm. called IT Governance, which just gave you general background mm. about uh, data protection and uh, what schools needed to do, um, and talked about sort of the uh, 
legal basis for holding data, et cetera. We then, as I say, did a further one. And again, we went with IT governance uh, because we were quite impressed with what they'd done previously. The only thing I would say is that they do data protection for all sort of businesses. So it isn't just school. When they did the first day one, they tailor made it for the school uh, yeah. because obviously it was quite a big cluster that they were doing it for. So they it was fine. But when we did our one, we had people obviously from retail, um, holiday companies, all sorts. If you wanted to do something specific, you'd have to probably do that as a cluster, a bigger cluster. Um, But if you just wanted to do the one qualification, there's that. There are also quite a few online freebie courses. I did one through the University of Derby, which is okay as Mm. an introduction um, if people want to do that. Um, just to give us mm. some background knowledge. If you do purchase something like GDPR IS, there are videos with built in within that, which um, can be role specific. So it gives them extra knowledge. Um, and as mm. I say, some of those you can get on YouTube. And as I say, the DFE, there is a guide to do with data protection and how you can go about it. From another perspective, you know, if you've set up this model and it's working well and the benefits to me are are really clear, but from a time perspective, how much time do you spend on it? So if people were thinking, oh, that sounds good, but is it going to eat up a lot of our time? How much time do you spend, say, a half term doing this role? So if I, I don't talk about my, within my own school, how much time I have to do, but if I talk about just the data protection officer type of thing, um, yes, it's a yes. little bit. It's how long's a bit of stream because you never know how many breaches you're going to get into the schools that you support. Um, during mm. last year, I probably had about four I had to investigate. So that's not bad over a right. whole year, and especially the climate because um, there was a lot being emailed, um, and there's quite a lot there. Because you, and the thing is, you do have to report it within seventy two hours, so you, there is quite a bit yeah. of. A t- turnaround that's probably the biggest impact and and to support that we did set up a uh, communal email address so that all four of us can access it so if there was anything that came in we could pick it up quite quickly um so there's that the probably the thing that takes the time if i'm really honest is a lot of the audits when you go out when you do the first one it will be a day Mm-hmm. When you do the follow-up ones, they're probably maximum half a day. But what takes the time is the typing up of the reports um, yes. and the action yeah. plan. Um, so I would say probably for each day that you do an inspection, you've got to be thinking a good day and a half to do the report, possibly two days. It, it just depends. You, you get into a bit of a flow with them, if I'm really honest. Um, and you'll see yeah. similar commonalities between schools so that you don't have to, I'm not saying you cut and paste across, but you can start to think, oh, that's the sort of wording I would use for that because it's the same situation. Yeah, you're not starting from scratch, are you? No. So I suppose like with anything, when you, you, the investment of time at the beginning is a lot and it gradually reduces as you go, but it's still yeah, it's still useful to know, I think, how much time these, these yeah. tasks take. So I think at the start, the, it, it does take the time, and it, but it's good to invest that time with each of the schools to start with so that they know what mm-hmm. they're doing, you know what you're doing. And then, as I say, once you then go in to do the follow-up ones, they don't take so long. I mean, at the moment, we are doing them virtually. So we do have to rely a little bit on trust because when we go, when we actually can physically 
visit the schools. We do walk around the schools and we will look at, is there is there any breaches? Can we see those breaches in the sense of data being yeah. left out or computer screens being turned on? So at the moment, we're relying a little bit on trust, but we are still... Uh, obviously, they can share their screens with us to show any of the paperwork and things like that. And they're they're only taking probably about two hours. Uh, and obviously, yeah. the report again. I would say the report still takes probably about two hours just to sort of up, update it. But like you say, your time is recharged. You know, obviously through the SLA. So so there's no loss overall. No, no. And when we looked at the pricing, we wanted to make sure that it was fair both to the schools that we were supporting but our own schools as well um and for our for the four of us the benefit we saw apart from obviously there was income to our schools and we did make a we do make a little bit of a profit on it um, because obviously it's got to be of some benefit to our schools to release us to go and do this but the thing for the four Mm. of us is we saw it as great development yes and I really, I have to be honest, I really enjoy going out there and supporting these other schools. And one of the other things that I've done in the past is my school is a national lead school. So my head or my deputy or it could be our assessment lead or anyone will go into a particular school and support them on whatever issue it is. Um, and I've done some of that with some of my sort of fellow school business managers in some of these other schools. And I know it sounds strange, but I do get quite a buzz. I think it's my background with sort of learning and development that I can go in there, support them, identify what needs they, they've got and how we can best go about achieving those and overcoming those. And, and I find this exactly the same with this uh, DPO work. Um, as I say, it, and it also the other thing is, I know it sounds silly, but you could be really quite nosy and just get to pick up ideas of what you could bring back to your own school um, when you're walking yes. around. <laughs> I like that. I think, like you say, I know it's GDPR specific, but I really like this model of, you know, SBL collaboration. I think it's a really good example of the benefits of, you know, when we put our, our brains together. We, we know we're good when we get together, obviously, but this is a really good example of how we make it work for us and it's a really tangible impact. Yeah. It, I, yeah. And as I say, even the, the head teachers, because when we launched the idea, we did a presentation, myself and one of the others, to the head teachers. And they just couldn't believe what we'd come up with. Um, and they could really mm-hmm. see the benefits. And when we feed back to the head teachers on the reports and also the governors, they listen to us. And you might not always get that when yeah. it's say, I'm say necessary talking to my head or governors. They respect my opinion. But I think sometimes because mm-hmm. you're an outside person, they take it on board even more. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Like you say, an external objective people yeah. tend to pay more attention to. Yeah. And yet I'm no different to any of those, my colleagues, my peers that I'm working with. It is interesting. Sometimes you just need to hear it from someone else. And I think that applies to many things in many different times in life. Sometimes it's who you hear it from and in what context. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think a lot of the other schools, they they do like is that the reports that we give them, we give them a rag rating on it. And it's just where they are on their journey. So no, I'm saying, yeah, I love a good rag rating. <laughs> yeah, it's just where they are on their journey. And obviously the report will show their progress. And again, for them, it's evidence that they could use to show their governors about what they are doing mm-hmm. as a school. Uh, and again, it's, it's all about evidence as well, that if the ICO was to come in because there's been a, an issue or a breach, they can, they've got that evidence to say, look, we've got someone external that's coming in. They're looking at what we're doing and we've got this action plan. So 
if someone is thinking, I want to do this, or I'm still panicking about GDPR, what, where do I start? What shall I do first? Have you got any final top tips or bits of advice that you'd like to share? I would say in general to do with GDPR is don't panic. Don't panic. Draw up a plan. Um, and the reason I say don't panic is because most schools have been dealing with data protection since, well, all schools since 1998. Uh, it's just the fact that a few things have changed in the sense of the evidence. And the reason I say to have a plan is that nobody can achieve everything in one day. Uh, as that old analogy yeah. is, if you're going to, how do you eat an elephant? You do it in bite-sized chunks. So if you draw up a plan, yeah. you can always prove to everybody that you are you you know about what you've got to do and you're on that step. In terms of drawing that plan up, as I say, there is the DFE guide that gives you step by step. So that will be a good first point. When you do the work, especially when you're starting to look at the data map and think about where your data comes from, where you store it and where you share it, don't think about doing it on your own in isolation. It can be very lonely as a school business manager or the data protection lead in the sense you think I've got to know everything. You should include people like your other members of SLT, your SENCO, your designated safeguarding lead, your technicians. Uh, it's amazing how many apps that suddenly appear on uh, iPads that we share data with that we might not know about. So always yeah. include everybody and get their sort of buy into it. In terms of getting their buy-in, I think the biggest tip I can give you is to always link it to safeguarding. If there was a yes. breach of someone's personal data, especially a child, what would the safeguarding implications be? Mm -hmm. And that makes people sort of sit up and think, because when you just talk about data, oh, it's just a piece of information. It's nothing great. It's no great shakes. But if that was the shared and was getting to the wrong hand, and it, what are the implications on that individual? And if it is safeguarding, then it does stop and make people think. The Again, with general data protection, don't ever be afraid to contact the ICO. I have to be honest, I've contacted them a number of times, uh, both in if I wanted advice from my own school or for um, schools I'm supporting, they just want to help. They're not like they want to sort of tell people off or something. They're quite happy to talk through. And and I found, especially over this last year, they are really quite realistic. They know that sometimes data breaches do happen and they will talk through with you what you can do and what you can't do. And mm. they will give you suggestions. The ICO website uh, has got loads of information on it. There's various different tools that you can do. I sometimes find it's not necessarily the easiest to find stuff and navigate through, but talking to them personally, um, they're really approachable, really approachable. And then finally, probably in terms of the actual collaboration yourself, uh, as I say, I think look for like-minded schools even if you just sent an email around to a group saying, I've heard about this idea, how's everyone else doing about DPOs? Is this something you would be interested in? And if you do, at, right at the start, make sure you've got clear roles and responsibilities. So if you are supporting another mm -hmm. school, what would you expect the school to do themselves? And what would you be doing to support them um, and how it would work? And that could be a very simple agreement form. We've drawn up an SLA 
uh, for each of our schools, which they sign up for in the same way that they would say for finance support, HR support, etc. But it doesn't have to be too long. It could just be very simple outline of what each person's going to do. So just to sort of wrap up, um, there are great benefits to the school and the individuals themselves. As I say, yes, there is the fact that you can save money, but you also feel that you're not alone. There's someone there that you can share ideas with. And also it could be uh, a development for yourself. And it's also, you never know where these collaborations will go to. You start off with one thing and you could then start working on some other things. And at the end of the day, saving money, which is great for everybody. I was going to say this this project with the GDPR. Has there been any other projects similar, or are you looking at anything else? You know, or looking to develop anything? We've we've done some uh, we've done smaller things um, in the sense of group purchasing and things like that. Um, we've got an email system set up between all of the um, as school business managers. So if we ever need a bit of advice on something, I like from waste through to gate maintenance, whatever, we do that so that we can make sure we can try mm-hmm. and get some good deals. Um, I have to be honest, because of COVID, we haven't been able to do our normal get-togethers yeah. as such. We've been doing them more virtually. So we haven't had another big mm-hmm. hot potato at the moment that we are, <laughs> we're working on. Uh, but one, one of the things that we possibly will do um is start to look at some of our um management systems our data management systems um because the one thing that we're all very aware of is that we all use a number of different tools to do a number of different things when really it could all be done Mm -hmm. under one so that's something we're starting to we started to mute about uh but we haven't really Mm -hmm. taken it too far forward at the moment I think the whole thing is, I just think it's all very, it's refreshing, it's its innovative. And I, like I said before, you know, this collaboration between schools and, and school business leaders, especially, I think it's a great model. Um, and I think you've outlined it really clearly. So so thank you so much. Thank you. No, no problem. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, right, I need to talk to Lisa, where can they get in touch with you if they've got any questions? Probably the best one is to try and contact me through uh, my LinkedIn page. Um, the okay. details of it are Lisa dash Murphy dash six B B seven five eight one four three. Sorry, it's a bit long winded and it'd be good to have something uh, a bit more natty, <laughs> but that's probably the best one. It's fine. As long as they can find you there, because I'm sure that the people that have questions about, you know, more questions that I've asked you today about what you've done and, and how they might do it in their context. But yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, Lisa. I really enjoyed it. And it, it's so, so so exciting to just talk about something different, especially when it comes to GDPR, because it's been hard going for everyone. Yeah, it is a hard slog. It's not the most exciting subject. Um, but that's, if you can do it in a group, it just makes everything a bit more fun. And if you can share it, it just makes it a little bit more achievable. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. Um, and, a, and a good point to end on, I think. I shall let you go. Um and prepare your pink grapefruit gin for later. <laughs> I might just do that. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. This really is a great example of the power of SBL collaboration. And even if you don't follow this through for GDPR, maybe you can develop a similar model for something else. If you've got
got any questions for Lisa about anything we've covered in the show today, you'll find her details in the show notes on my website at www.ljbusinessofeducation.co.uk. Remember, this show is available in all of the podcast directories. Just make sure you hit the subscribe button in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. And if you listen to today's episode and you're on social media, let me know what you think. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the same name at Laura LJ Business. See you next week.